you are listening to Fotosidan podcast, this time in English and with war photographer James Nachtway. James Nachtway, welcome to Stockholm, a very rainy Stockholm today. I remember seeing you here in 2008 in Hotel Lidma when you had an exhibition. Was that your first exhibition in Sweden? That was the third exhibition in Sweden. I had one years earlier at the Hasselblad Center, and then a year after that at Fotomassan in Göteborg. Yeah, uh, the Fotomassan was a very great uh, uh, trade show uh, with lots of photography and We still miss that one. Um, you have, and now you're you're in Stockholm with, and having an exhibition at Fotografiska, uh, a retrospective uh, exhibition. Uh, what's the re- most recent work in this exhibition? The most recent work in this exhibition is of the refugee migration across Europe. That was done in 2015 and 16. You've studied art history and political science in college. Uh, how come? How did you be- become a news photographer? When I was in college, it was during the Vietnam War and the American Civil Rights Movement. They were happening simultaneously, and it was, uh, they were very um, pivotal events in American history in the late 20th century. And images were very important for my understanding of what was going on, because our military and political leaders were telling the people of my nation, one thing, and photographers were showing us something very different. And I believed the photographers, and so did millions of my countrymen, and they, their work was very influential in helping me shape my opinion of what was going on. And the same with the uh, civil rights movement. But at that time, I still didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Only later, when I graduated, did I make a decision to become a photographer with nothing in my background to indicate that I had any talent or aptitude for photography. It's just something I decided I wanted to do, and I believed I could do it. But it was those images from that time that that actually inspired me to become a photographer. I, I saw the social value in in images and uh, and I wanted to be part of that tradition do you s- s- think that images can make such a difference still today with all the m- so much m- uh, images all over the place and so much video images uh documentary images of events that are that are happening in our own time are very important to help people understand what's going on. And without this kind of human connection, change is very difficult. 
I think that it's, it's, a, it's an essential element in the process of change for people to have an awareness, not only in, in abstract ways or intellectual ways, but to actually make a connection on a human level. And photographs have the ability to do that. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's an element of the process of change. Otherwise, things happen in the dark, and then nothing can change. The exhibition at Photographiska is a retrospective exhibition. What would you say is the most important work you've done during your career? You know, I've seen so many things and witnessed so many tragedies that I, I it's impossible for me to put a hierarchy on it. Uh, I have always regarded your images as very well composed and on the same time with a very strong storytelling. Would you agree? My sense of composition uh, is really intuitive, it's spontaneous, it's improvisational. Um, in the midst of things happening, they're very often very chaotic. I don't know what will happen from one moment to the next. So I'm trying to synchronize my mentality and my physical movements to something that's happening outside me. And I'm using the parameters of photography in order to tell the story of what is happening around me. And photography has a frame, and it has that limitation, which is also a kind of discipline. So I try to use that frame in the midst of this chaos to relate to viewers what's happening in the world and I think that it, it channels through me to the viewers. Mm. But I don't I don't um, have a like a compositional template that I'm imposing mm. on reality. They're just they're very spontaneous reactions to reality. But how important is the aesthetics for you? Can you publish a picture with strong content but with not so good uh, composition. Well, I think that, you know, the content is, the way the content is related to the audience is important. It, it, I'm not trying to just make random snapshots. I'm actually trying to use the, the, um, power, the, the visual power that's inherent in photography, in the language of photography, to tell the story in an effective manner. I see. I'm using photography to say something about what's happening in the world. I'm not using what's happening in the world to say something about photography. That's a important difference here. Yeah. Uh, For me, that's a very important mm. distinction to mm. make. 
men of your if, if there is something that, that you say is aesthetic it's it could be just something that's in the nature of what I'm seeing many of your images are in black and white do you prefer black and white I see the value of both color and black and white they're both very powerful and they both are valid I find that color is such a powerful physical phenomenon that it uh, it it tends to want to become the subject of the picture so I have to be careful about using color that it that the picture isn't about color no mm. some subjects I find um, When I'm using black and white, it's even though it's abstract, it's not actually the way we see in reality. That it it distills the essence of what's happening more than in color. In, in color, there's sort of there's this other layer, and in black and white, that layer is is reduced to tones of gray, and somehow that what what's actually happening, the essence of it, becomes more clear and more strong. I saw the documentary about you, the war photographer, uh, and I got the impression that you were very professional and almost like a perfectionist. Are you a perfectionist when it comes to your work? I, I wouldn't say I'm a perfectionist. I would say that I try and do things as well as I can do them. I see. I, you know, I have uh, demands that I make on myself, and I'm, and I try to, you know, achieve what is achievable. For most people, going to a war zone or a violent conflict is among the last things that they would uh, like to do. But you have done this many times. What drives you to get to these places? That goes back to my reasons for becoming a photographer in the first place, because I think it's important that people know what's going on in the world, that they're not just getting their information from the decision makers and policy makers who set things in motion and getting their kind of manufactured spin on it, that they, that they understand things from what's happening on the ground that they're not just learning about things from the point of view of statistics, that they're actually seeing what's happening to individual human beings because statistics are only numbers mm -hmm. and something might happen 10,000 times but it happens to 10,000 individual human beings and that's the point of view that I think people need to see. Mm. Uh, you have seen many horrific things, um, I think like in Rwanda and other places. Uh, how do you handle this? The reason I can continue to face such devastating realities is with the sense of purpose. 
and I'm doing it for a reason and there's value in in what I can show people and that is what drives me and the consequences the personal consequences of that are something that I've had to learn to accept that if I want to do this work I have to accept you know the personal consequences that I face and I deal with it what kind of personal consequences is it well I think that you know you if you if if someone who witnesses so much tragedy um, I don't know you you there's a certain weight that you have to carry and a certain sadness that comes with that and it's it's a it's something that I have to carry with me mm. and I try and do it with as much grace as possible and continue to you know to do my work without falling apart falling apart would wouldn't serve anyone it wouldn't it would be useless so I have to hold myself together and and do my work because there's a reason for it um, you sometimes hear uh, war photographers say that the camera acts as a filter does it do that for you as well well I think I've heard that the camera acts as a kind of protection or a screen mm. and I find it exactly the opposite i think a camera is what requires a photographer to stay open, to not screen themselves, but to actually open themselves and to feel the emotions that are present and to take those emotions and channel them into the work so that you become a medium through which these feelings flow to the readers. And I, if I didn't keep myself open, then the emotional content in the pictures would be diminished. Mm -hmm. And so I think that people seeing the pictures would feel less, and I want them to feel more. Mm. You co covered your first conflict in 1981 in Northern Ireland. Uh, you must have learned a lot about how to cover conflicts since then. Can you tell us a few things you learned? Every single day is different than the day before. And there's nothing that you can, there's no rule book or guidebook to this. Everything is happening for the first time. And you just have to stay aware and stay open. You have to be resourceful and persevering. Do you ever put down your camera just to help? Or do you see yourself as always a ph photographer? If I'm in a situation where I realize that I'm the only one who can help, then I will and have put down my camera and help people. 
Most of the time, that's not the case. For example, in the pictures that you'll see of famines, the, most of them were made in feeding centers mm -hmm. where people had gathered um, once food has been collected and is being distributed, people gather there, and they're being helped as much as they can be helped. There's nothing more that I can do for them than is already being done. So I have my role as a, as a documentarian and, and as a journalist, and, I, and I, that's what I do. That's my purpose. There are doctors, there are NGOs who have their role in the scene, and that's what they do, and so we all have a place. But this, sometimes there are situations where I'm the only one who can help, and then I have put down my camera and, and help people. I've pulled people more than once out of lynch mobs mm -hmm. because I realize if I don't help them, they're going to get killed right in front of me, and rather than take a picture of that, I tried to help them get away from it. I have, in covering famines, I've found people who didn't know where the feeding center was. And I put them in my car and I take them to the feeding center because I realize if, if I don't take them, they're just going to die out here. And I'm not the only one. Many of my colleagues I've seen do it a number of times, helping people, because we are human beings first and journalists second. Mm -hmm. You were close when Ken Osterbrook was shot in South Africa in 1994, and in 2003 you got injured in a grenade attack in Iraq. Did any of this change your view on the risks on the job? Well, I've always been aware of the risks. I mean, when Ken got killed, he was as close to me as you are. And another good friend, Greg Marinovich, was just as close, and he got very badly wounded and luckily survived. So it's something you just have to, you know, again, it's like um, the emotional toll is a, is a physical risk, and you just have to be aware of it, and you have to be willing to take the risk. Do, do you think you'll live on overtime? It's something I try not to think about. Mm. Um, I heard a Swedish conflict photographer saying that the most dangerous part of his job is transportation, uh, that you have to travel in unsafe cars in very unsafe traffic. Do you agree? Well, I wouldn't say it's the most dangerous, but it certainly has its perils. Mm. Have you been close to any uh, accidents in the traffic? Yeah, I mean traffic can be, yeah, and the way people drive, and the and the and the sometimes the panic that overtakes people can can be dangerous, but certainly not the most dangerous thing. What is the most dangerous thing? Bullets and bombs and grenades and you know, the weapons of war are, the, are really the most dangerous things. Mm. Uh. 
and they're they're unpredictable. Mm. People with far more experience and expertise in combat than I have get killed all the time. So when you're in a war zone, you can get taken out anytime, anywhere, without warning. Do you have any kind of security training or? I think that in Sweden we have uh, that kind of education for for journalists uh, how to behave in a war zone. I think it's a good idea for journalists to take these courses. I never took one myself, but I've had a lot of on-the-job training, and I've been in so many situations that I think I'm pretty aware. Uh, I guess you have at least some. Uh, time to mentally and practically prepare before you start documenting a conflict. But I guess in the case of September 11, 2001, uh, you didn't. Um, did that make any difference to you when you covered 9-11? Well, I had never seen any single uh, attack of that magnitude. I mean, that was something monumental in scale. The two of the tallest buildings in the world actually collapsed in front of my eyes. That was unprecedented. But I had worked in war zones for so many years, I knew how to go about it. I, I stayed calm. I never felt fear the entire day. I continued to work and find my way through all the obstacles. When the first tower fell, I was a couple of blocks away and photographed it as it fell. And then I was compelled to get to that site mm. to see what it looked like on that site. And I, I was so, so compelled to get there that I didn't use my common sense and realized that if the first tower fell, then the second mm. one will fall as well. And when the second one fell, I was standing directly next to it, and it was coming down right on top of me. And I realized I have about five seconds to survive, and I'm going to be taken out, mm. and somehow I survived. It seemed miraculous, mm. but I did. So all your experience there is still that you can make this uh, that you don't always realize the risks well I think mm. you have a uh, you develop a survival instincts become more finely tuned than most other people mm. and after the second tower fell and I managed to survive and managed to get out of it I spent the rest of the day in ground zero mm. I didn't leave I just stayed there and continued to document until there was no light. Did you have enough film? I you? had just enough, and I was, mm -hmm. was shooting film. That's a good point that you made. And I shot every role I had, and I, I didn't miss anything mm -hmm. because I ran out of film. I actually mm -hmm. had enough, yeah. When did you go digital? When? Well, right after that, um, I realized that I knew that of course there would be an attack on Afghanistan to take out the Taliban or to take out uh, Al-Qaeda. And I realized that a lot of it might happen in remote areas and it would be virtually impossible to get film back to a, a, 
a magazine back to time who I was working for to make the deadline. So I would have to use digital. And at that point, I, I had to learn how to use a digital camera. And it was a prototype. It wasn't even on the market yet. And um, some technicians from Canon came to time and gave me a briefing on how to use it. Handed it to me, and it was sink or swim. I just had to learn it mm-hmm. as I as I went along. Mm-hmm. It wasn't easy. And you have never gone back to film? Well, I continued to use film for black and white for several years after... Um, I did that initial story uh, in Afghanistan, and even for color, because the, the the first digital cameras were not very good. The files weren't very good. The color wasn't very good. The whole quality of it was, you know, f- much inferior to what it is now. So I used film for a little while in color, and for quite a, a couple of years in black and white, and then eventually. Uh, the black and white capacity became good enough to to use digital for everything. And today, digital has passed the, the uh, analog f- film a lot. You can shoot in very low light, for instance. Have that technique changed your photography? Have you been well, I think working differently with digital? Well, I think the fact that's that's the the. The main strength of digital is the fact that it can render images in low light that were virtually impossible with film. And I think that's really been a breakthrough. And I I find that extremely useful. Other than that, I don't think it's in any way better Mm. than film. I don't think my photography is better because it's digital. Um, it's it in in a way it simplifies a photographer's ability to get the image to the editor. Mm. And other than that, it's its ability to render images in low light. I think those are the two mm. major advantages of digital. If any of our listeners uh, would like to become a conflict photographer, what would be your most important tips? Don't do it. That's that's normal. It's lethal. I think if uh, you know, I'd, if someone is really compelled to do this work, then they're going to do it no matter what I say. Mm. And. So I, w- I say don't do it, mm. and those of you who listen to me means you don't really want to do it, and those mm. of you who really want to do it don't care what yeah. I say anyway. So do you ha- have any words to send to them who will do it anyway? Follow your heart and never give up. Mm. You have been a member of the famous agency Magnum, a dream for many photographers. Why did you quit Magnum and started the Seven Photo Agency?
I think it's just you know my my own personal um, characteristics uh, made being in a large group uh, maybe not the best dynamic for me. I didn't like being part of a large group. You also quit. And so I, be, I became a founder of Seven, but I it, it was. Becoming a founder of Seven was not at all connected to Magnum. That happened after I left Magnum. I left Magnum for, you know, there's so many great photographers there. I have many good friends there. I admire so much what they do and their place in the history of photography. But I just personally didn't like being in a big group. And after, after I left, then with a few other colleagues who I had worked with, in the field many times and we knew each other well respected each other did the same kind of work we decided to start our own small group mm -hmm. and with seven people i thought that was a just a, that was a number of people that i think or i thought at the time um might be right for me and after a few years i realized I don't really want to be in any group at all, and I'm actually much better working independently. So, do you have any employees or uh, some kind of agent or something to helping you with selling pictures, getting assignments, and so on? No, I don't. I'm not engaged in that so much. I, I assignments come to me directly from from clients. I, I do most of my work for. Time magazine and some work for National Geographic, and I don't. I'm not in the really anymore and in, involved so much in selling pictures. In fact, I never was personally anyway. It was always the agency that did that, and I get some requests and I try and handle them as best I can. But it, it's not. It's not such an important thing for me to be involved in right now. Over the years, you have received many prizes, like uh, World Press Photo of the Year. What does these prizes mean to you? It's 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 it feels good to be recognized by my peers and by my industry. There's no doubt about that. But I never did any of my work in order to win prizes. It's just something that happened. And uh, I, I, you know, I appreciate it, and it feels good, but it actually doesn't influence my work one way or another. I think it's important that, that these prizes focus attention on the stories that we did and on the issues that we covered. I think that they're valuable for that. I think it's valuable to the editors who give us assignments that somehow they're the fact that they gave us an assignment was somehow validated by the, the greater industry. I think it's good for for them for that reason. But it's you know, it doesn't influence me one way or another. Do you propose assignments for editors or are they coming to you? Yes. I, I propose assignments and I think by now I've been committed to conflicts and critical social issues so that editors know what I'm committed to, they know what I'm good at. And so the, those kind of stories will, will come to me from time to time without my having to propose them. 
I think editors realize that this is a story that I would be interested in. And otherwise, I talk with my editors about things that I'm interested in, and we see what we can put together. Today, you are 71 years old. Um, and many of people in the same age as you are retired now. But you still work. And uh, are your plans to continue that? And, uh, I don't really think age has anything to do with it. And I, I don't even like to even discuss it because I think that there is there's a kind of uh, uh, ageism. I mean, there's a certain sort of... Uh, I, I, I actually wish we wouldn't even talk about this mm -hmm. because I don't want it to be an issue. No. I think that, that you know, sometimes... You just continue on. always too old or something. No. When actually I'm not too old. Mm. I'm very active. I'm, mm. I have a lot of energy. I'm healthy. I'm very mm. motivated. Um, I have experience that is extremely valuable. Mm. I think a lot of work I've done in the last years would have been impossible 10 years ago mm. because I've learned things about how to, to handle situations that I didn't know then. So I think that You know, it's not a matter of age, it's a matter of experience. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of motivation and inspiration and energy. And I've got all of those things. Yeah, you clearly do. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I appreciate very much, you know, so-called young photographers, but I think it's become too much of a buzzword and it's too much uh, ingrained in, in the mentality now that there's There's value in people with a lot of experience, too. And I think it's very interesting not only to see new people emerge and see what they come up with, but it's also very interesting to um, support the work of people who are adding on to their bodies of work that they've created and to see how they're going to develop that. I think that that should not be ignored. Uh, do you have uh, any assignments planned now, or are we working on something that you have been been out taking? Uh, I, nothing. There are things that I'm discussing, but nothing that mm -hmm. I've you know committed mm -hmm. to yet. In this exhibition, uh, Memoria on Fotografiska, have you been uh, uh, part of the selection of the p images? Or? Oh, I selected every picture yeah. in it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was the curator of the show, and, and the challenge for me was, out of all the different bodies of work and all the different locations and all the different kind of situations, I had to curate it in such a way that what uh, the question I asked as I was curating it was, what holds this all together? What makes it comprehensive? What makes it the work of one individual? And I think that was the, the challenge that I face in curating this show. And what would you say is your red thread? It had to be something, I think, in the spirit of the pictures that, that holds it all together. And I think it's concerned for the individual. What is happening to individual human beings? If I was to you know, try to put it into words, Those, you know, that might be the idea that holds it together. 
But there wasn't anything in terms of, you know, formal uh, considerations or aesthetic considerations. It was going to be the unifying factor. It was something in the spiritual considerations that would unify it. Thank you, James, for this time to talk to you. And uh, we... uh, Wish you good luck with your f- new assignments, and uh, we'll be very curious uh, to see them. Thank you very much. Thank you.